Amen. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for worship. Father, thank you for the gathering of the saints. It's so sweet and so awesome, Lord, to be in the presence of other brothers and sisters in Christ. But above them, your presence is here. And that we thank you for, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Guys, are y'all ready to be changed this morning? Are y'all ready to be changed? Because that book you have in your hand, the Bible, when you open it up, it is a living book. It is a book that's meant to change your life. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This morning, let's be changed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, if you haven't, if this is your first time with us, we want to thank you for being with us. We are journeying, journeying, journeying through the book of Hebrews, and we've come to Hebrews chapter 11, and this morning, we come to number five, our fifth hero of the faith. And our, my teaching, will, I'll be going to Genesis this morning, but it all stems from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. And the person that we're looking at this morning is Sarah. Excuse me, it's not Sarah yet. It's Sarai. Sarai, yes. Some people were asking me before service, how do you pronounce her name? I pronounce it Sarai with an I on the end. It's, uh, next week when we look at Sarah, I'll open up next Sunday's teaching when we'll look at the passage where her name gets changed. But up until this point, it's Sarai. But uh, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, he says this about this hero of the faith. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. I love this verse about Sarah because when you go and you study the life of Sarah, you see a life of ups and downs. You, you, see, you see, actually what you see is a, a picture of the Christian life. In the life of Sarah in the book of Genesis, which we're going to go to in a minute, you see a woman who has a very rough start. But guess what? And that's what we're looking at this morning. This morning at Calvary Chapel Irma, we're looking at the rough start. But next Sunday, we'll be looking at her finishing strong. And that's, and that's the case with most of us. You come to Christ, you become a Christian, you have some rough edges, you have some things that you have to deal with, that you have to figure out, and sometimes they're painful, and sometimes they're difficult, but you make your way through them, and it, as it always is, when you serve Christ, you finish strong. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Nobody in here is perfect. Your pastor's not perfect, you're not perfect, the sound folks are not perfect, but there's one who is perfect, and his name is Jesus. And as we continue throughout the Christian life, it begins rough, but God refines us, sanctifies us, he grows us in holiness, and he grows us into mature believers. And I kind of believe, that's kind of the picture we see with Sarah. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we will begin this morning in verses uh, 29 and 31. If you don't have your Bible, we got you covered. The verses will be on the screen. So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 through 31. The Word of God says, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The, names, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Melchi, and the, the daughter of Haran the father of Milcai and Eskar. Sarah was barren. She had no child. And then Genesis 12, 5, which I'll be including this portion of my teaching, says, um, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 31. Uh, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And then, 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. In what I just read to you from the Word of God, and what hopefully you're reading along in your Bible or watching on the screen, this is the beginning of the journey of Sarai. And the first thing we see is where she came from. Where did she come from? The Ur of Chaldeans. She came from a pagan family, okay? She came from a pagan family. Her, her father was an idol maker. Back in her day, she was in ancient Mesopotamia. They had the ziggurat temples. They worshiped the god of Nigel, the goddess of the reeds. They worshiped Nana, the goddess of the moon. Joshua, the prophet, um, after Moses, gives us some insight into what life was like for Sarah before, before. in Joshua 24, 2, he says, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your father lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And here it is. And they served other gods. So the first thing that you need to understand about Sarai is this. She came from a pagan background. Guess what? Just like you and I did. God called us out of darkness into his glorious light. This beautiful gospel that we are living for, this beautiful Lord Jesus Christ, he's called us into this beautiful light, this glorious gospel, this Christian life, and he's called us out of paganism. He's, he's called us out of the old way of thinking. He's called us out of the world into this beautiful thing that we call the Christian life. And God called Sarai out of the Ur of Chaldeans into his kingdom. There was a huge stigma, a huge and very painful stigma in Sarai's life. Look at verse 30 of chapter 11. It says it very clearly there. Sarai was barren and she had no child. It says she had no child. And that word barren there does, not only does it, this, this, this phrase in this verse mean that she had no child, that word barren means she didn't have the capability. She did not have the physical capability. How do you think this affected Sarai? I, imagine what this done, what this did to her. I, I imagine she was filled with anguish. She was filled with bitterness. And she probably had a lot of internal conflict. And we're going to see this internal conflict and this anguish work its way out in her life. Many times we come to Christ and we have deep hurts and we have deep pains and we have difficult things we've experienced. And we have to work through those as a Christian. But here's the good news, guys. We don't have to do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. Not only does he save us. And not only does God forgive us of our sins, but he continues the Christian life in helping us work through those pains and those difficulties in life. But I'm sure it affected Sarah greatly. You know, many people look at people in the church and they think, man, them Christians, they just got this perfect life. They just got it all together. I want to say one, two words. Not true. Not true. We don't have it all together. But God does. And we're a work in progress. And he's working through us and in us, through our pain, through our difficulty, through our challenging times, to grow us in sanctification, to trust in him more, to live for him. We are not perfect, but we have a perfect Savior who is showing us grace and helping us grow in our relationship with him. And we see that in the life of Sarah, when you pan, at, pan back and you look at the whole book of Genesis and everything that Sarah is going through, you see a woman that God calls out of darkness. She has some difficulties. She has some trials. She has very difficult things she's going through, but we see a God of grace taking her through. Thirdly, in Genesis 12, 5, in the verse we had up, they could bring it back up. In Genesis 12, 5, it, sa it says that um, Sarah went to the land of Canaan from the Ur of Chaldeans. First, they, remember, they went up to Haran, and then they go to the, uh, to, down to Canaan land. They go to Egypt, and then they come back up. But I think it's very important to note this, that Sarai 
journeyed with her husband to Canaan. I looked it up in a Bible atlas map. 1,300 miles. Honey, you going gonna to walk with me 1,300 miles somewhere? That might be a little trying. That might be a little difficult. But she did, and we, and we, can't, we can't forget that fact. She supported her husband. This, this, this lady, Sarah, Sarai, she supported uh, Abram. She loved him. And, and the principle there is whether it's work, whether it's ministry, or whether it's life, it's impossible to be successful without the support of a spouse. Can you look at your husband and wife and say, thank you for being with me. Thank you for being there for me. And we couldn't do this any other way than doing this together. That's why, uh, you know, when it comes to big decisions in the family, you, you need to talk with your spouse. You need to, um, to pray with your spouse. And you need to remember this, especially when it comes to ministry and it comes to calling and, and where you go to church and what ministry you're involved in and the, the things that you want to do for the Lord. Remember this. When the Lord calls one, he calls the other. That's so important that we serve a God. God has brought me and my wife together in marriage. And he planned that and he knew that and he put it all together. Well, he knows the beginning from the, he knows the beginning and the end and, and everything in between. So what he calls David to do, he's also going to put it on his wife's heart and vice versa. That's how the family works. But, we, but back to Sarai. We see Sarai being faithful to her husband, loving him, supporting him, and going with him throughout the whole entire journey, as we're going to see in a minute. And he, he makes some pretty boneheaded uh, decisions and some boneheaded statements, but she's faithful. Praise the Lord for our wives that stick, through us, stick with us in our um, difficult times or when we make not-so-wise decisions. So thank you, wives, that, that stay with your husband in the trying and difficult times. I'm getting ahead of myself. So now, look at, let's, we're, we're looking at Sarai this morning. Look, switch to, uh, shift forward to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse 11. And this is where we're introduced to, to Sarai again in the book of Genesis. Verse, yeah, verse 11. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, oh my, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. And the, when, the first thing that happens is when I read this and I think about Abram and Sarah, Sarai, I'm like, Abram, why? Why do you got to do this? Why, why you got to ask her this? Now, in all fairness, uh, Sarai was his half-sister. But we know a half-truth is not the truth. A half-truth is a lie. But why does he do this? Because she is his wife. Why does she do this? Why, why, excuse me, why does Abram do this? The same reason he does this is the same reason why you and I fall after we become a believer. When we, when we get our life right with God, we put our eyes on the Lord, we start serving him, and we're serving him and we're doing well as long as we keep our eyes on the Lord. And I believe in this situation here in Egypt, because of the pressure and what was going on, that Abram took his eyes off of the Lord. You know, and he, what he did is, is this thing the Bible talks about. He put confidence in his flesh. You know what? That's just a bad decision. I've been there so many times and had to repent. But we put no confidence in the flesh when it comes to life. We put all of our confidence, all of our hope, all of our faith in God and God alone, my friend. Let him be your source of strength. Let he, he be the one that guides you and directs you. But Abraham, he, he, has, a, he, has, one of the, he has a he has a moment and, and he blows it here when he takes his eyes off the Lord. And he, and he asks of Sarai to lie. You know, husbands and wives, today, we live together, we walk together, 
we do life together. But there's one thing we do not do, and that is we don't tell others to lie. We don't tell others to deceive. And especially, we don't tell others to disobey the Lord. We don't do that. Look at, uh, let's continue in our verse-by-verse study. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 12. It says, And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Sarai, you know, they didn't have cameras back then, unfortunately, so we don't have a picture of her. But the one thing that we do know that the scripture says is what? She was a very beautiful lady. And she was so beautiful that not only was she taken into the, to the Egyptian courts, but the Egyptian officials saw that she was so beautiful, they took her into Pharaoh's very house. What do you think was going through Abram's mind? Oh my goodness, what have I done? He's probably in a panic. He's probably in a frenzy. He's probably getting his thoughts and his mind and his heart back on the Lord, thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this situation? Because very, very likely, this was a very dangerous situation for Sarai. Being Pharaoh, a, a, a pagan, a worldly ruler, and this beautiful woman, Pharaoh, it could have been very dangerous. Uh, the scripture doesn't indicate what kind of danger she was in, but we can only imagine what it, what it would have been like for her being a very beautiful woman, being in a very powerful ruler's uh, home, and what he could have, could not have done with her. But the one thing that we can stand on this morning, which the word says, is this. God is faithful. God is faithful, and he protected Sarah. See, Sarah was taken into his, into his home, and Pharaoh may have had a plan for her, but you know what? God had a bigger and greater plan. And little old Pharaoh was not going to have nothing to do with God's daughter. Because all God's got to do is say, Doop! and push him out of the way. This beautiful knockout was going to get Pharaoh knocked out. Okay? It was a very difficult situation. But this takes me back to the New Testament verse in Hebrews 11, 11, where the author of Hebrews says, uh, by faith, even Sarah herself conceived the ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So throughout this rough beginning and this rough journey and ending up in Pharaoh's house, I have to believe in, in, in Sarai's heart of hearts, she knew this, that Yahweh God would be faithful. And he is faithful. He says, Pharaoh, boom! Strikes him with a plague. And, and, and then, and then, and then uh, let's look at what happens. He strikes him with a plague. This is what you get with, for messing with God's daughter. And look at chapter 12, verse 18. It says, Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away, and his wife and all that belonged to him. You have to ask the question when you look at this whole passage, who sinned? Who sinned? I'm just making an observation now on, on, the, on the scripture. There's no indication in the passage that we just read that Sarai followed Abram's deception. I'm just saying, that's, that, that it's, look at verse 19. Verse 19, uh, Pharaoh says to Abram, why did you say she is my sister? See, it was Abram that led the deception. Now, 
before we exalt Sarah, we're going to see in the next chapter, she blows it. But here, she's maintaining. She's holding it. She's holding it. She's, she's staying the course. But he clearly puts the blame on Abram. And in verse 18, it says, uh, Then Pharaoh called Abram. I like that phrase because when I think about what's happened, if, if, if Pastor David could insert a word, and I never would, I would never tamper with the word of God. But I like to think this. Pharaoh, it says, it says Pharaoh called Abram. I like to say Pharaoh called out Abram. This is the world calling out a believer. How embarrassing is that? You know, as, as Christians, we're called to confront one another, encourage one another, and challenge one another. And sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's not the most comforting thing to go through. But what's really painful is when the world calls you out. When the world sees you not acting like a Christian. Hey, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you talking like that? Why are you living like that? Why are you acting like that? That is what is painful. And that is what I believe Abram possibly felt as Pharaoh, this worldly Egyptian leader, is calling out Abram. Again, as I mentioned a while ago, as a husband, as a wife, as a family, we are all called to live above reproach. We're all called to look after each other. We're all called to warn each other in a spirit of truth, in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of love. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to encourage you and lift you up and propel you forward. We're called to, um, to pray for one another, to fervently pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ because the, let the truth be told, we're all going through the same battle. We all war against the same flesh. We all face those difficulties and those challenges that drive us to our knees in prayer for our life and for the life of our family and for our brothers and sisters. And one thing I'm learning, and it's very difficult, and it's very, very hard that Pastor David is learning, is not to take matters in my own hands, okay? Not, not to do it myself, but to trust in the Lord, to trust in Christ, and to truly exercise faith. That brings me to this question. For if you're here and you're facing a difficult situation, you're going through a trying times, are you putting your hope, your trust, in your faith, in your confidence in Christ? Do that first. Do that first. Before you try to figure out the problem on your own, the difficult situation you're failing, you're, you're facing, excuse me, not failing, facing, put your faith and your hope and your confidence in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going through this difficult situation this situation is going on in my family, and I'm just going to put my trust and my hope in you, Lord. I'm trusting in you to intervene. Now, if he leads you and guides you to say something or do something, that's great. And obey the Lord. But before you face the situation or before you address the conflict or the difficult thing that's going on, put your hope in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do you see that trust comes before directing the path? We got to put our faith and our hope and our trust in him and then follow his leading. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, listen, we're, looking, we're going through Genesis. This actually happens again with Abimelech, but we're not going to read that passage because the almost exact same thing happens again. Now, switch, uh, look, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. So Abraham blew, Abram blew it there. Now we're going to see where Sarai, she blows it here. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 says this. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. In verse 16, 
it, it makes an emphasis here. It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, she had, she had, looking at the past, had borne him no children. Uh, this had been 10 years. This point in Genesis is 10 years from the calling of, of Abram and Sarah. So for 10 long years, Sarai could not bear a child. And instead of doing what I just said a while ago, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Instead of Sarah doing that, she takes matters into her own hands. And this is where it becomes a mess. And, and equally, I, I, I want to give a shout out to Abram here, because if you look at the end of verse 2, what does it say? Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So Abram, you know, we want to call balls and strikes here. Abram equally blows it, but Sarah blows it too. Now this was the custom of the day. Uh, what she is doing here, this was the custom of the day. If, if a mother could not bear a child, it was the custom of the day uh, for them, for the husband to have a child with the maidservant. Now that was the custom. It was the custom of the day, but it was not, I repeat, it was not God's way. It was, it was not God's way. God's way is one man, one woman in marriage, and you put your hope and your trust in the Lord. You know, just because the world says something is okay doesn't mean it's okay. You know, the world, the culture, the society we live in, they do not define truth, okay? There was somebody that was here before our government, and that was God. God defines truth. His word defines truth. His word was here before anything else, okay? His existence of, of who he is, and he defines what, what truth is. But Sarah blows it here. You know, the pressure was mounting. She knew the Abrahamic covenant of, of, of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, where God promised to Abram a land, a people, and a country, and part of that being a people. Well, in order to have children, something's got to happen. It's called a husband and wife have got to come together and have children and procreate. And she was unable to do that. So again, her mistake, both of them make a mistake, but Sarah's, um, Sarah's mistake is she takes matters in her own hand. Abram's mistake is he listens to her. And then verse 4, he says, He went into Sarah, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So Hagar was despised. She, excuse me, Hagar despised Sarah. I have a feeling it probably went a little each way as, as these two women were, were dividing, as these two women were having an issue. But that word despised, according to Blue Letter Bible, means to treat with contempt, to refuse, to reject. Despise is when two people who are together as friends or buddies or or whatever, all of a sudden they just break off and they don't want to have nothing to do with each other. They can't stand each other. They, they reject each other. They refuse to talk with them. They refuse to have fellowship. That's what's happening is there's this wedge coming down between Sarai and Hagar. It gets even worse. Look at the, the next verse, verse 5, Genesis 16, 5. It, 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 goes from, it goes from bad to even, to even badder. Verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, she's mad. She's mad. And now she's turning her attention from her maidservant. Now she's, she's got the crosshairs on Abram. And she says, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. 
Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her parents. Now, we know who started this. This was Sarah's idea. But just, you know, sometimes in the moment, in the flesh, we make decisions, we do things, and then later on we, we regret them. But do you see the conundrum that, that Sarai is in? Do you see the conundrum that, that she, is, she has built because she's not, as Proverbs 3, 5, trusting in the Lord all of her heart? Instead of taking, trusting in the Lord, she's taking matters into her hands. And this is just where it becomes a train wreck. She's at odds with Hagar, her maidservant. She's not seeing eye to eye with Abram. That's a, that's a, that's a little marital spout right there that, that, that I just read to you. Um, she still does not have a child, and she knows the promise. Do you see the pressure building on her? Do you see, you know, when we get outside of God's will and we don't do things God's way, it just compiles and it gets worse and worse until hopefully we come to a place and we repent and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for doing it my way. Help me, Lord, to do it your way. That would have been an appropriate response. What I just read to you, the conundrum between Sarai and Abram, between Sarai and, and Hagar and her not being able to have a child and, and things going south, this is what happens when we take matters in our own hands. It's so, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how many college degrees you got or how much life experience you got. And I know, I imagine that we have a lot in this room. None of that wisdom, none of that life experience outweighs the wisdom of God and the truth of his word and the simple truth that we as Christians, no matter where you're at in life or how smart or whatever, how, whatever you are, is that we, we take God his word and we put our trust and our hope and our confidence in the word of God because when you take matters in your own hands things become a train wreck and then at the end of verse 6 what does it say is Sarah Sarah treats her harshly in other words it's, it's mean it's bad it's unspiritual it's I'm done with you possibly I hate you it's, it's one of those you're out of here. I'm finished with you. And it hurts Hagar so deeply that she flees. And she runs from the scene. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, and this is the Lord speaking, Hagar, Hagar, <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, she says it very clearly. This, this indicates, validates what I said a while ago about, um, about, about Sarah's attitude and her anger and her harshness. She says to the Lord or to this angel, angel of the Lord, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So what is she doing? She's doing what you and I do when we face conflict. She's running. And how many of you know that when we face conflict, when we face difficult situations, that's the easy way out? That is, that's the easy way out is to run from our problem, to flee from it. It's not the right thing to do, but it's the easy thing to do. And I, David Ford, I stand before you this morning and look over the past 49 years of my life and I see situations where instead of confronting and confessing and bringing reconciliation, I ran. And just to put it bluntly and honestly, I regret that. I regret that. When the right thing, would, when the right thing instead of running would have been to stay there and make reconciliation, to, to make peace. This is what we all do in conflict, is we run. But the right thing to do, and the point of the text we're just reading, looking at to you, I'm encouraging you with this morning from scripture. The right thing to do is that we work it out. We work it out in a way that glorifies 
and honors the Lord. It doesn't always mean that you're going to, if you have a conflict with someone, it doesn't always mean that you're going to turn around and be buddies and pals, but you're going to make peace. You're going to make peace with that person, and there's going to be a, a hopefully, uh, a gentle relationship with that person, a kind relationship with that person, instead of anger, harshness, and bitterness. Because when you deal with it, when you have that anger, that harshness, and bitterness, guess who you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. And God doesn't want you to be there. And the best way to keep that anger, that bitterness, and that frustration is to make peace, make reconciliation. And when you do that, and when you go home at night, you'll be able to lay your head on your pillow and sleep in peace because you know that you've done the right thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's continue. Genesis chapter 16, verses uh, 9 through 16. We'll, we'll go ahead and read the rest of this chapter. Genesis nine, six, chapter 16, verses 9 through 16. It says, Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress <clears throat> and submit to her authority. Verse 10 of chapter 16. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Even in that phrase that, that Hagar is saying, I can sense her countenance lifting. Because all of a sudden, she's coming face to face with the angel of the Lord, which some people believe are a theopony, Christ appearing in the Old Testament. But it's lifting her spirit. And she says there in verse 13, you are a God who sees. For she said, have I ever remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Berlahai Roa. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Fascinating passage because Sarai being the wife of Abram, she's the wife of promise. She's the one that God is going to be faithful to because in her womb will come who? Isaac. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the formation of Israel. God is, is going to be faithful to her. But we see in this mistress that's been hurt by the promised wife, if you want to call her that, that God in his grace and his mercy is, is showing himself to Hagar. He sees that she's hurt. He sees that uh, she's running. He sees that uh, she's been offended by the mother of promise that will have Isaac. So the angel of the Lord, possibly the Lord himself, a theopony, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes after her and, and comforts her. And in verse 13, look at verse 13. There's a beautiful name of God in here I want you to see. In verse 13, it says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. And this is the Hebrew name for God in scripture that we get El Rohi. God is saying to Hagar, I see everything. That's what that name of God means. I am the God that sees you and I see everything about you and everything that's going on. What does this name El Rohi, what does this name teach you and I today? in 2020 about the Lord, it teaches us this, that God sees everything. God sees everything. He sees 
when our, where our hearts really are. Do you know that? God looks down from heaven and he sees your heart today. And he knows if your heart is truly for him or not. I don't. I don't have spiritual x-ray vision. I'm not your judge. I can't see into your heart. But my friend, God does. God sees your heart. Your mom and dad can't see your heart. Your pastor can't see your heart. Your teachers can't see your heart. But God does. God sees your heart. And I have to ask you this morning, where is your heart? Is your heart with the Lord? Do you love him more than anything? Is he the joy of your salvation? That's where he wants to be. And he, see, he sees our heart. He knows our hearts. He knows where our heart really is. He sees us in, in everything about us. He sees us in our triumphs. And he sees us in our joy. He sees us in our pain. And he sees us in our sorrow. You know, you're going through a difficult situation. You know, the marriage has gone south or the family's gone south or, or the kids have gone south or, or whatever. He sees the pain and the sorrows of life. God sees it. You know, I might not be able to see it. And you may not have the confidence this morning to come up to me after service and share it with me. So I don't see it, but God sees it. God sees it. And God knows exactly where you are. And he wants to help you through your conflict, through your trial, through your tribulation. Because he is El-Rohi. He is the God who sees. He sees everything. You know, God sees the sin done in secret. Our secret sin. I can't see your secret sin. Your spouse not be able to see your secret sin or your brothers or sisters or family or whoever you're around in life can't see your secret sin, but God does. And what, is, what does God say to you in, in your secret sin? In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if you will confess your sin, if you will repent, he will be faithful. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's just and righteous. He will forgive us of all of our sins if we will repent. He sees everything. Hey, he, he sees our sin. He, he tells us to repent, but he also sees our victories. He, he sees our victories over temptation. And I like to think that when we have victory over temptation, that God rejoices over us because he does. And his angels rejoice over us. If there's any message, any note taking, anything that you get to go out this afternoon and you get to ponder uh, from the message you, that you heard at church this morning, it's that name of God, El-Rohi. He is the God who sees. He saw, he, he, he's basically saying to Hagar here, that you've ran, you've gone to this place and you're hurting, but God is saying to her, I see everything. And I will deal with all people on all accounts. I see your pain. I see your running. And I will deal. I will, I will give you in, in, in instruction. And I will help you. But he, he is El-Rohi. <clears throat> so she gives birth to Ishmael. I uh, want to briefly talk about him. Let you know who he is. You know, uh. President Trump just signed uh, a peace accord uh, this week between the UAE and Israel. And, you know, basically for as long as I've known, there's always been this conflict between uh, the Jews and the Arabs. This is where it all began. Uh, Ishmael became the father, is the father of the Arab nations, of the Arab people. Isaac... Abraham's son would be the father of the Jewish people. Ishmael's name means God hears. He's known as the, the father of the Arabs. And this conflict that's taking place, hopefully they're, they're working some things out here as I'm, I'm watching in the news, but this conflict in the Middle East 
between the Palestinians and the Jews and the Arab nations and Israel takes its uh, roots all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael, two of the sons of Abraham. It's interesting when you study Abraham's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, that uh, in the book of Galatians, in the New Testament book of Galatians, these two guys are an illustration of salvation. Isaac, on one hand, uh, comes from trusting in the promises of God and having faith. Ishmael is taking matters into your own hands. He is a picture of works. And if you notice what it says in verse 12 uh, concerning Ishmael, it says, this is a prophetic word over him and his descendants. He will be, verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. You wanna talk about consequences You want to talk about decisions having consequences. Well, this decision of of Sarah giving her husband into her maidservant had a serious consequence that, that that we're still facing today. But regardless of the situation, regardless of this the of the of 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 the uh Isaac and his descendants, Ishmael and his descendants. God says to us in this passage, he is el Rohi. He is the God who sees everything. And that's the thing that we need to take to heart is that, you know what, you ready for this? God knows your heart better than you do. That's scary. That's scary. That's why we need to go into our prayer closet. As Psalms 139 says, and we need to say that prayer, Lord, search my heart, know my heart, try me, test me, Purify me. Make me holy. Show me what's really in my heart. Because a lot of times, even in our own brain, well, I'm going to say for myself, even in my own brain, sometimes I can deceive myself. I can deceive myself in my own way of thinking, in my own way of processing. I deceive myself, but there's one I can't deceive, and that's the Lord. So the closer we get to God, the closer we get to his word, the more he will reveal your heart, reveal the, 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 your heart to yourself so that you can be honest before him. Two things that we learned from Sarai this morning. This week, this was the rough and bumpy road of Abram and Sarah. They didn't have it all together. They were like many of us in this room. They were like me anyway. And they, they had a rough and rocky start. But if you join us next Sunday, we're gonna see the triumph. We're gonna see God come through and be faithful. And we're gonna see her prevail and come through and, and what God has planned for her. But in the beginning, it was rough. But the two things I, I close with you this, I close this morning with that we learned from Sarai is this. When there are situations, and trust me, this is near and dear to home. When there are situations that are outside of your control, don't take matters into your own hands. I'm going to repeat it one more time. When there are situations that are outside of your control, do not take matters in your own hand. What do you do, Pastor David? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and let him direct your path. That's the first thing that we learn from Sarai. The second thing is is, uh, the big picture of Sarai. And that big picture is this. Put your trust, your faith, your confidence in the Lord and not in man. Why? Because God is faithful. The Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, which is the New Testament summary verse of this Sarai in Genesis, says, I'm going to go back to it in Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Amen? And again, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not a born-again Christian, I would say to you, God is El Rohi. He sees you exactly where you are. He sees your spiritual blindness 
He sees that you're deceived by sin. He sees that you're in darkness. And he invites you to come into his glorious light. He invites you because he sees and knows everything. He invites you today to repent, believe, and receive. That's the three New Testament words that describe the gospel. Repent simply means you say, God, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for breaking your law. I'm sorry for breaking your moral law. Please forgive me. I apologize to you, Lord. And you confess your sins and, and tell him you're guilty. Like, like a criminal standing before a judge and you say, Your Honor, I'm guilty. And then you believe. Believe simply means you put your trust in Christ. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm no longer trusting in myself. I'm putting my faith and trust in Calvary. And I'm putting my faith and trust in the cross. And then that third word that the New Testament uses to describe salvation is receive. You ask him to come into your heart, to come into your life. If you have not done that this morning, please do not leave this facility this morning without doing it. This is your eternal salvation. He loves you. He died on the cross for you, but your sin separates you. And he wants to, he wants to make peace with you by you receiving him as your Lord and Savior and becoming a born-again Christian. If you have not done that, after this final worship song, we're going to have some elders up front to, uh, to pray. I want to invite you to come up after service closes and, and, and tell, tell the person that's up here, or tell myself, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to commit my life to him. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. And uh, God loves you, but you must repent, believe, and receive. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's service. Thank you for our study in uh, Genesis on, on Sarai. Thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this encouragement, Lord, from Sarai that she didn't have it all together, but she believed you and she trusted you. And as we'll see next week, you're going to come through in a mighty and great way. So, Father, help us this morning to acknowledge and understand and let it seek in deep. There's nothing we can hide from you. You are El Roy. You are the God who sees everything. You see our heart. And, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will knock on hearts this morning and that your Holy Spirit will remind those people of their need for you. We love you and we praise you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.